Welcome to the Art and Life Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gallegos. My intention with this experiment is to inspire hope and inspiration in your creative pursuits. Follow along as I interview artists, makers, entrepreneurs, and creatives from all walks of life. Listen while you work, listen while you create, listen while you dream up the next breakthrough idea. It's possible to make a life from your art, skill, or craft, whatever that may be. These interviews are evidence of that fact. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Share this with your friends, family, and all those creative people you know out there. Now, let's dive into this concept we call creativity. Welcome to the podcast, art lovers. Taylor G here. Happy to be with you. Thank you for joining me. We got a real special one here. This is a good friend of mine, Jamie Phillips. Jamie is a magical human being. Uh, anytime you hang out with him, you you always walk away with some sort of insight or wisdom. He's uh, he's lived on this planet for a good good many times around the sun, and he has seen the world. Uh, he was a professional photographer for his career in New York City, working for ad agencies. He was in all the top magazines. He had all the top clients. Um, yeah, he just rocked out in life. And we dive into a little bit of that. We dive into, um, you know, creativity. What is art? We get real philosophical in this one. This conversation is a real good example of what, uh, what time with me and Jamie is like um, constantly. I lived, Haley, my fiance, and I lived with Jamie for a little over a year. And this this type of stuff happened at breakfast, lunch, dinner, um, you know, late night, whatever. We, we would always be diving into some wild, crazy, funky, philosophical talk. And uh, yeah, I'm really glad to share this with you. So thanks for joining. Be sure to subscribe, share this with anyone that you might think uh, will enjoy it. The intention of this podcast is to inspire people to go after their creativity. I hope that you listen while you make your work. You know, rock out, make make art, get creative. And uh, yeah, without further ado, Jamie Phillips. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast. I'm Taylor, and I'm the host. This is Art and Life, and with me today is a good friend of mine, Mr. Jamie Phillips. Jamie is a magician of sorts. He's a wild, out-there human being, and uh, I feel very honored and privileged to have gotten to spend so much time with this person. So, um, yeah, Jamie, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. <laughs> kind of. It's been, been a while since we had this plan, but yeah, here we are. It all comes together whenever it should. And I mean, this is the second time because this podcast has been in the making for like three years. Haley and I lived with you and when it really started getting going and you uh, humored me in being one of the first interviews. And <laughs> so it's cool. And, and I still have that interview. 
yeah uh on youtube so it'll be fun to you know see how it flows <laughs> now it's way more organic conversational free flow which feels a lot better to me and it's just like more fun to do and it's certainly at that time i think it was even more organic because we talked about it afterwards you know and and you know the, the critiquing of it you know was like a part of the interview i think as well so yeah it's all flows together like everything yeah. in life and that, I mean, all that first phase, even though it didn't go live and become the thing, it was definitely the, the precursor to it. And, you know, everything's just baby steps, especially with art and life in general. It's good to keep in mind life is just like one little step at a time. You don't climb Everest in a day. You gotta. If you ever climb it. If you ever you climb know. it. Sometimes you end up walking the other direction. <laughs> and. Does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> Which way is Everest anyway? Up oh, or down? Oh my god. <laughs> for the record, everybody, we just hung out at a park for a little bit and um, went off on some philosophical ramblings and it's always so, wild. <laughs> yeah, so you pull me back anytime I get too far out there. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Um, why don't we begin by you telling everyone a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you came from, what you did with your life, and where you're at now. <laughs> Give us your entire life story. Yeah, right. Who I minutes. am. Wait, wait. Come on. That is, you don't ask anybody that dives oh, yeah, you're into <laughs> the world of Advaita or Buddhism. Who are, who are you? <laughs> um, yeah, I, you would have to be a little more specific than that, but... Um, yeah. Be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> what events have transpired in your life? Um, From the time you were a child. Events have transpired. Um, you know, I guess in, in, in going back early on, I did, I, I did, I did like a, a rebirthing experience. Um, and this was years ago out of the EST training, and those of you who may recall, um, that was in one of the earlier um, weekend workshops that you could do where there'd be like 400 people participating. This was back in the 60s um, with, with Werner Earhart. And um, in any case, part of it was a rebirthing thing. So in my rebirthing process, absolutely worked perfectly on me because I experienced myself being coming out of the womb and just bright lights. I could, I could somehow in the memory bank, it was the experience of bright lights and, you know, kind of not knowing anything else that I, that I can remember, but that was an early experience, one of the earlier ones. And I, I've never dived into past lives, but um, I think if uh, if we play in the world of linear reality, like there is a past and present and a future, which we can do, I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that was certainly an, an, an early experience. I remember just what comes to mind. Another one I had, I must have been seven or eight years old, and uh, I remember driving, we'd drive to my grandma's house every Sunday, and um, it was just me and my mom and my brother, and, and I remember just, I'd be sitting always in the back seat by myself, and 
and I remember looking out the window and it was just came a flash. It's like, wait, am I really the center of the universe? And and I'm right I'm actually the king of the universe and all these people are just actors and when when they sort of know they've got they've heard that I'm going to be driving by so then they they go into their routines and they pretend like they're talking to each other and doing things and uh, and, and interacting and and then I, I drive away and they just you know somehow get normal again but I'm the king <laughs> so I, I don't know how serious I took myself but that was definitely a memory that I have that was an, an early early memory um, I remember getting scratched by a dog um, you know, uh, obviously even to remember the, the pain of that and, and the fear I felt for dogs a little bit after that um, I still have a scar from that um, I don't know Not, you know Lots of humiliations. You were involved in an accident. When oh you were yeah, yeah. So that was a bit later on. And that was like a near-death experience. Pretty much, yeah. It's hard, hard saying, but I, I, um, um, in a in a very inebriated state, um, uh, following a good friend of mine, I drove a motorcycle over a cliff and ended up breaking my neck and um, having had to be rescued because I couldn't move and it was in a cliff that went over into the Mediterranean Sea so there were waves washing <laughs> over me when I, I had to beckon my friend who knew the road, the curvy road that we were on, he said I know this is the back of my hand, just follow me and so hairpinned her curve and he went over the cliff and I'm right behind him Anyway, he pulled me up out of the water with um, two shattered ankles. I don't know how he did it, but he did. Oh. And, and uh, anyway, so we, we, got, we got rescued. And uh, um, yeah, I spent seven weeks in a hospital in France where nobody spoke English. Barely. I mean, they didn't know I had a broken neck and I couldn't move for like two days. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, that was a very interesting experience. How old were you? Nineteen. Wow. And uh, you know, it was I was surprised. I didn't, you know, it wasn't a big deal to me at the time. It's like I remember going over the cliff, and it was like, kind of in midair. It's like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But beyond that, it was just like whatever. They gotta rescue me, and and. Um, um, so anyway, stayed in the hospital, and but but a cool thing happened there for me, which um, was was pretty amazing. I remember going through a lot of some a lot of sadness um, early on. It just hit me when they said, it, not until they told me I would never walk in. I was like, cool, hey, I can't move, no big deal. But then they told me, you know, you may be paralyzed the rest of your life, and you'll likely never walk again. Um, how they communicated the second hand through somebody that. You know, did speak English, um, and that freaked me out a little bit. I'm like this buff 19 year old that's like, you know, gonna rule the world, the king, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um, so that was a little depressing for for a couple of days. I don't know how long it was, two or three days. I was like, yeah, this is not good. 
but then, out of, kind of out of nowhere, this, I remember hearing the mamas and the papas on the radio. Some nurse was playing it out in the hallway someplace. And it just went to my heart. Like, it, it was music. Like, I'd never heard music before. Um, and I wasn't tripping. They weren't giving me drugs. You know, I mean, it, they might have been giving me some morphine, but doesn't necessarily have that effect. But I went into this just ecstatic, grateful experience. I suppose just that I could hear music and thinking I'd probably never move again except for my right arm. And, but just the sound of music was so profound to me um, that it was like, whew, things are good. <laughs> <laughs> and I can still taste food and had a very, um, very attractive nurse that was feeding me, which I got very attached to. Um, the idea of being fed. So when they when they said, "Now you got to feed yourself," I went on a hunger strike. <laughs> that I remember. Um, I think I even cried because they weren't going to feed me. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was that was a near death experience. Now, obviously, I did you know pretty much recover. It was years, but you know, normal trauma having you know to learn to walk again and learn to run and. Um, but, you know, other than that, just pretty normal. And then... Normal stuff. You were, you were doing your thing, you were living your life, you, uh, you bought a farm at one point. Oh, yeah, that kind of story. And, so, yeah. And then, and then you went to a course, where, like a, a, a weekend course, was that the one you were talking about? Yeah. Where you, like, found your, what you wanted to do with the rest of your life as a profession? Yeah, it was there. There was a um, a workshop that we did around that called "What's So," and in that, um, you know, it was essentially what do you want to do with the rest of your life? But start from uh, tomorrow and the next day, and then next week, next month, next year, you know, whatever. It went on like that. So we had to make, you know, a list every every week. This was like a ten week course, and we had to do a list every week just prioritizing what we wanted to do. So that was, that kind of pulled me into um, being a photographer. I mean, I list, there were a lot of other things I wanted to do, and every week I'd have a list, and then something different would come up to the top every week, and the list would get reordered. And it was everything from being a ski instructor, a scuba instructor, uh, running a charter boat, you know, a lot of outdoor active things, and... Um, and somehow photography kept coming up at the top. So that's what I chose to do and did that for a living. But prior to that, I think it was just, I, I went through a lot of depression early on. Uh, and I think I had depression from when I was a child and I just didn't recognize it. And I also was a little dyslexic, so I didn't read really well. Um, and I you know, whatever it goes along. And nobody that. at that point would have been identified. No, no, not at all. And ADD, it was kind of the same thing. I, I had trouble concentrating on things. So, you know, not fitting in, going away to college, sort of like I didn't fit in, and depression, and, you know, you know definitely thoughts of suicide, got involved in psychedelics, which was wonderful. It was like, okay, there's got to be more to life than, you know, depression and near-death experiences and 
Um, and yes, I've experienced bliss, but where is it? It's gone. Um, so a lot of searching and um, uh, definitely psychedelics were a very positive part of it because that, again, opened the door. It's like, ah, there is bliss consciousness, there is joy, there is love. But then, as with psychedelics, very often it wears off unless you're practicing. I got involved in, in Buddhism then as another. It's like, okay, you know, I read, you know, Alan Watts and D.T. Suzuki and some of the early Buddhist writers, and it's like, okay, something, there's meaning here, you know, and got involved doing Zen Buddhism, you know, in a pretty serious way for a couple of years, and then had, had kept a meditation practice ever since then, which um, goes into, can segue, you know, from that real real focused effort not effort really it was just focus I was committed to meditating every day so likewise when I got I'm going to choose I need to choose a career partly to please my parents but also just to try to fit in with the world so chose photography um, and I just committed to it and I decided I would go to a great school and I got accepted at Parsons um, and which at the time was a, a good school, I think it probably still is. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, um, and lasted one term there, and um, was you know it was just like college had been for me before. It was it was frustrating, and um, so. And what did your teacher tell you? Okay, you remember <laughs> that. So yeah, my teacher just said. Uh, Jamie, you know, I, I don't think you have what it takes to make it in the commercial world. Um, you know, maybe just keep it as a hobby, get another job, you know, and, and like, like, like that. And I'm like, you know, it's the last thing I wanted to hear after I'm paying a lot of tuition at Parsons and was looking forward to really learning how to be an artist, how to be a photographer. And so that was like, just under my breath, it's like, fuck you, asshole. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you, you know. And then I quit school and and said, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna find somebody whose work I like. I'm gonna apprentice. This is in New York City, and it's you know being a photographer is like you know a lot of people, a lot a lot. What of year is this? This was in probably '77, okay. um, and. So, so you had a big afro and some bell bottoms, and you're going. No, there. actually, I think I still had a bit of a shaved head from my Buddhist days, oh, or at okay. least you know, <laughs> uh, nicely balding. It's <laughs> a consistent theme throughout. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you you go and you. I mean, the the process of you getting an apprenticeship, I think, is pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was just, I was committed, and I, I, you know, I talked to different people about the best way to do it, and it's like, okay, so you're going to have to go, you know, look at, make a list of photographers who work, whose work you like, and, you know, everything from looking at credits and magazines that, and see pictures you like, who did it, um, and looking at a lot of advertising photographers do. So, anyway, I made a whole list, and I made it a point, had a portfolio, and I would call them and say, I'd like to work with you as an assistant, and I'm, I'm happy to volunteer my time. And in those days, there was no question. There were so many people who wanted to be assistants, you were going to volunteer your time. 
in fact, you know, they probably would have accepted if you would pay them to work for them. So um, anyway, I, I ended up um, seeing photographer after photographer after photographer. I had uh, note cards, file um, case that had every photographer, their phone number, where they were. I, you know, made notes about, you know, what their work was and so on. So I ended up calling and seeing probably um, 60 or 70 photographers before I finally, um, Jeff Perkel, I remember his name, um, was like a friend of a friend. He said, okay, you can come and work for me for a day and you're just going to be carrying cases around while we go shoot on location. So I did that, you know, and... and um, you know, a couple of weeks later, he called me back, and I still kept seeing other photographers. I had a list, ultimately, of, I think, close to 100 photographers that I saw before I finally got a job where somebody hired me as a studio manager, Albert Rietzel. Um And, um, yeah, I stayed with him and then got, an, you know, another job after I left him and... and yeah, just went that route. So it was it was probably a year and a half of doing that kind of work where then I finally just said, okay. Um, I was kind of booted out by one photographer. He said, you need to start shooting for yourself. And um, so I did that. And uh, still worked as an assistant for a little while. And then just slowly kept it. I, I, New York was freaking me out at the time. I was a boy from a small town in Michigan and not used to transvestites and, and you know, strange people on the corners where I lived. So um, I went to Washington, D.C., worked there for a while, and and then um, I, made, I found a place that I could live, that I could have my own studio, which was great. It was kind of a collective place with artists. Started you know, building clientele there and moved back to Washington, or moved back to New York City, got another place there that um, um, also I could do some work in and just kept on building. At one point, I remember in Washington, I had, I, I like many of us have done, I had like 10 credit cards I had pretty much maxed them all out and finally finally started getting some regular work and slowly started to pay them off um, and so that was that was a big thing yeah. and then back in New York it was just slowly plugging away getting you know small job after small job and so I ended up staying in New York for at least the next 15 years through the 80s and 90s I moved away in 2000 um, and you ended up, by the end of your career, you were working with huge clients and... Yeah, yeah, doing a lot of... You basically uh, did what your college teacher, college professor said you had no ability to do. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think he was jerking my cord and just like pushing me to like do it on my own, but I, no, I think he was serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, and, but it, you know, it was, again, it was just sheer determination. I was not going to be frustrated. And the fact that I was willing to go seventy or $80,000 into debt um, with, you know, huge interest rates on my credit cards, it was like, 
I ain't gonna fail. Yeah. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I ain't gonna fail. <laughs> That's like. Oh, yeah. And a, and a delightful thing. Finally, my stepfather, who had been my father really since I was six, um, did, after he saw a full page ad I had in Town and Country magazine, it said photo by James Phillips, you know, this beautiful, well known model. Uh, and dad called me and said, son, I'm proud of you. You know, it's like, okay, I can stop working now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was kind of that powerful, but I, I didn't stop at that yeah. time. But soon thereafter, it was like enough of the fast-paced New York City style and, and moved on. What else? Well, that's really interesting. I, there's like a little piece to that, like the dad validation yeah. piece that's really interesting that like impacts me because uh my parents are divorced my dad was doing his thing a lot and didn't like look at my art very much he didn't value it as much as I would have liked him to he as he's a salesperson he like thought in the world of business so art was just sort of something he didn't really consider uh and so then uh I think like looking back on it and see, having the self-realization of what I of my life a lot of what I was doing with my art was like trying to get attention you know and and namely his attention and then when I finally had that realization in like my 20s eh, maybe early 30s it hit me pretty hard and I was like wow my only motivate like my main motivation for this is like egoic it's to like make myself feel good and so then I lost a lot of my motivation to make art for a while and I was like this is mm. just an egoic pursuit and like I don't need a, I don't need external validation for who I am and and, and whatnot. Um, and then there was this like slack period where I just didn't do anything. And then out of that was when uh, I fell in love with it again. I just started making art because I it's what I fucking love to do. Mm -hmm. And so then I started drawing again and then started making paintings and then and then it just built up more and more speed and and it was cool because it was like it was like I needed to clear out the bullshit ego drama so that I could operate from a space of just love and like I love which is where you are right now right totally just love. totally just love like that's, that's what it's all about <laughs> I mean I'm not always just in okay love. good okay. our egos are always say, that's the acacia field we were talking about earlier <laughs> but when I'm in the space of love yeah. that's when I get in the zone that's when time evaporates There's, it's timelessness yeah beautiful yep and that's when it's like pure like as as close to pure consciousness as my art gets mm -hmm. um when i'm not thinking about things i'm just it's cool it's it's like not a thinking decision making process it's uh it's from like deeper down it's like a gut like in my gut i know that i need to mix these colors and put them there and then the next step is going to be this i'm not like mm -hmm. thinking and calculating mm -hmm. So I would say that, yeah. It's like, and, and I mean, I certainly have found that, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, it is a process. It's not just like overnight that happens. I mean, it seems we may have epiphanies that like, oh yeah, got it now. And then it's like, yeah, as, as you were talking, we were talking about earlier, it's small steps, you know, that appear to be moving one forward. But, you know, I found as well, it's, there are still small steps. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it, 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 and, and yet, you know, diving into that timeless space, be it doing art, you know, or 
you know, looking at waves on the ocean, uh, or a bird flying, or mist coming off a pond, you know, that sense of timeless appreciation, perhaps. Um, yeah, one of my favorite things to do with you is, uh, I mean, we live together, I lived at your house in Fallbrook, and one of my favorite things to do is sit in the cozy room in the morning with the fire going, and outside all the birds are hanging out doing their thing, <laughs> you know, and like the quail are all like herding around and doing their little bobbin thing. Yeah. It's like, there's just this like, t- time does not exist yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And it's so cool because it's always happening every morning that goes on. So I think, you know, to me, I, I think of art and it is a means of kind of exploring, giving yourself license to sit and watch the birds forever, you know. Uh, but it it gives it it's a bit of an identity, if you will, that's acceptable in the world. Oh, I'm I'm an artist, and um, and yet there is still that exploration, that that curiosity about life, about appreciation. How do I express my appreciation? Um, and is it through my artwork, or is there more? You know, um, am I am am I forcing myself to stay focused on my artwork, or do, do I need to to express appreciation in another way in my relationship with my parents um, just with you know the you know, man selling flowers on the corner um, all of that I think ties into the artistic expression you know and, and just a wonderfully being an artist a wonderfully uh, wonderful platform to operate from to explore life, what is this all about? In particular, when we can play with beauty, um, be it in, in, in colors that we paint, or um, for me, it was often just the appreciation I felt for females. I mean, females were always, you know, just like I was in awe of the attraction I saw in the beauty of, of females. and. Um, so being a photographer gave me the opportunity to explore appreciation in that sense and still now in, in that sense of appreciation um, just it's, it's infinite in a way and it dives into what you were talking about the timeless experience where you're just if, you, if I stay focused on something I'm appreciating there are no thoughts really there's nothing really to accomplish but experience appreciation seems to express itself in what I've learned as my art form. And it's, I'm still learning beyond photography. I'm, I'm, as we didn't talk about it today earlier, but you know, still designing a house. I never thought of myself, you know, being able to design a house. Although I remember when I was probably seven or eight years old, drawing castles and moats around the castles and, you know, you're basically yeah. just doing that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, kind of the same thing. Um, yeah. So. It's cool. I feel like uh, when you call yourself an artist, part of what you're doing is you're, like, creating a guard, almost like a fence, around your ability to just sit and observe and experience. Yeah. Because in this three-dimensional reality where we live and have to pay bills every month and you know all these things like the clock is ticking to make money as a capitalist human and so it's like go 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 you gotta always be achieving and doing and being an artist part of it is thinking 
and feeling and seeing and so like when you call yourself an artist then you're sort of like staking a claim on I'm gonna be taking time to to do these things so it might look like I'm not working but I'm actually like mm. working just by sitting here <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I would agree and like when I was a little kid I remember just so many hours I feel like I I started being or the, the roots of me being an artist really started as a child laying in bed and just like looking at the way that the ceiling came together with the wall mm. and the, at an angle in the, in the corner or you know whatever mm. just looking around spending so much time mm-hmm. um, what else you had uh, you had another wild experience not too long ago Little, another, oh, another near-death experience. My my COVID experience. Your COVID experience. <laughs> uh, I Do you did, feel like it was COVID? I I mean, it certainly had all the symptoms, and the fact that I was in intensive care at Scripps for five days, um, they thought it was pretty serious. Um, and um, but and it was I did before see, they even knew, like no one yeah, knew no, what COVID was, here. COVID wasn't wasn't around. Um, but I did, and it was a month, six weeks ago, I saw a really great doctor, Dr. Singh, um, who I think is you know one of the main doctors with Scripps that was dealing with COVID. Um, but I saw him just as a final follow-up to my, my visit there. And uh, you know, he did a full check on my lungs. You know, there's like still a little scar tissue in my lungs or something. But um, I said, so did I have COVID? What's the deal? You know, and he said, I mean, he's such, he's such, you know, a straightforward scientist. He said, we weren't testing for it then, so I don't know. <laughs> End of story. But it was pretty crazy. I mean, you called one night to talk to me and Haley. And yeah. you sounded like you were on the edge. And, and we were like, well, should we come right now and see you? And you're like, on the, thinking about it. And then you're like, no, why don't you come by tomorrow? And then we ended up coming by tomorrow, and you were there, which is good. And uh, but yeah, I mean, going into bed that night, I was like, "Fuck, is this the end of Jamie?" Yeah. Like, are we? Was that our last conversation? And it seemed like you were thinking that that might be the end too. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about how like the meditation training. Fuck, that so is that was disturbing. Kind of went out the window. Yeah, I mean, moment. I'm used to and I, I'll interject there, you got me going on that. So, yeah, I'm so used to being able to drop into a meditational state, you know, like a good Buddhist I learned to follow my breathing and you know, and then you know, f- you know, evolving into, you know, going through different chakras and feeling the energy and, you know, letting the thoughts go and so you know, it was like, okay, I got this down. So I'm, you know, might be dying, but I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be focused. I'm gonna be in bliss consciousness here, just dive, dive deep into the space. And it's like, so <laughs> I remember, it, as hard as I tried, I could not get into a space that was anything other than, uh, than pain. When it came right down to it, there was no avoiding it, and. Um, Chakras, as much as I tried to get into a heart chakra, um, it was not happening, you know. And it was like, um, 
having to let go of the attachment I had to a spiritual practice, if you will, um, and, um, and a surrender to the possibility that, you know, this, this is, it wasn't just a possibility, it felt like it was kind of, I was not necessarily going to wake up the next morning. This felt like I was heading down, and not what I expected, but it's what's happening. Um, so I did wake up the next morning and was still alive. So it's like, okay. And then, you know, a couple more days went by and I seemed to be getting a little bit better. So then, and then you've recovered, you're back now. Um, I may, I was like, I told him I wasn't staying in the hospital anymore. And I got, I ended up with uh, a really good doctor who just said, got it, I got it. you don't want to stay, it's not healthy for you to be here with your attitude, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to let you go, and that was New Year's Eve, I think he let me go, I said, I'm not going to spend New Year's night here, and it it was dicey, because I, I went home, and I had a hard time taking care of myself, um, you know, just to get out of bed was an effort, and to feed myself, I had, you know, some good friends as well, I, you know, Protestant that I am, I think I just hated to ask for help. You know, it's like, no, you're not going to ask for help. You can do this all yourself. But it was nice to have good friends like you and Haley that were there. I knew you were there and just had to call. And um, and surprising how upset people got with me that I didn't ask them to help. Huh. And so I certainly learned a humbling lesson there. How does it tie into art? No, you don't have to tie it into art. I'm just wondering what your what's your experience afterwards? Like, okay, you you were at the end and then like has there you know, is your meditation practice the same? Is your perspective on life and death, on life in general, like uh, do you do you have a different mindset going forward? That's a lot right there. Um yeah, I mean, I, I, th there is no question that um, there is a perceptible um, shift, but I think the shift has always happened. And, you know, is it cause and effect? I wouldn't go that far. I think, you know, it feels like there is just a flow of timelessness that's happening. Yes, I can make up all the stories I want about it. Uh, th there is an experience... In a, in a timeless sense of just the expansiveness of um, of awareness and a, a letting go of the idea of Jamie even of my identity um, it's not a, I'm not consciously trying to do that it feels like there is a natural letting go of um, of Maya of the illusion of separateness of um, the story that I am something other than, that I'm something different, that I'm, you know, a human being. I'm Jamie Phillips, I've got a story. It's not, you know, not much of an attachment to that. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it is, in a, in a linear sense, if, if you look at it, yeah, it seems to be less and less of an attachment and more and more spaciousness, openness to in Buddhist terms, the Dharma, the truth, you know, the flow. Um, 
learning to, you know, yeah, what was it, Eckhart Tolle or somebody was saying, um, just known for, it's not what you think. <laughs> so I'm learning as well, whatever I think is just thoughts. <laughs> a dear friend of mine and I were looking at med our meditation practices and you know it's like I sit outside in you know outside in nature every morning and there's something bird song has always been real for me there's just this wonderfully melodious sound that allows me to not think so much but just hear the joy I remember early on Disney cartoons where you know Elmer Fudd or whoever would get knocked on the head and get knocked out and there'd be like birds you know, a bubble with birds <laughs> birds going chirp 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 totally. so it's like bird song it's like okay but that's kind of like ecstasy there's no thinking <laughs> you know yeah so I've learned as well to 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 have that experience but also now there's bird song there's brain song so I equate thoughts pretty much like bird song I don't have to understand them in fact I don't want to. If I start thinking the bird, what's the bird saying, and so on, totally get out of the flow of presence. I'm into thinking. So likewise, there's a space where I think one can uh, um, consciousness observes the thinking, you know, just like bird song. You don't have to be attached to any form of thought. Um, yeah. I like that because, I mean, I've heard it talked about in terms of being the monkey mind. Yeah. But the monkey mind, I, I feel like it's a little bit more uh, crude. And, and it's really and putting sort of down negative. monkeys. It's yeah. like judgmental toward monkeys, like yeah. they're better than they are. Well, like we're better than monkeys. <laughs> they're part of the animal kingdom too. But then like bird song and mind song, it's like, yeah, that's, yeah, your mind brain is always song. like, brain song, yeah. Brain song, it's like your mind is always chirping away and that's what it's doing and just it's okay yeah let it chirp yeah and then i mean how do you get into presence presence happens there's a there's bumper sticker i remember you said grace happens you know in a sense i see it does i mean i can sit down in the morning to meditate and actually i don't even call it that because i'm not even trying to meditate now it's just a sitting, there's a, a, a time that get you know, where uh, I get up in the morning, get my coffee, and I go sit on the deck, and whatever happens, happens. But there's a definite uh, pull toward just quietness, toward appreciation, toward, you know, maybe what we get back to it, going into the spaciousness of creating art. There's just seemingly a natural quieting of the mind and sometimes it's there's disturbance and it's like it's like okay well I know there's something beyond this disturbance and then it's like oh something like oh bird song let's listen to the bird song or like oh that's a brain song so you know little keys of remembering in a sense that allow um, something to open the door to appreciation or gratitude or that timeless space of presence. Um, and that's an evolving, so much an evolving thing, I feel. And it's not, um, you know, is it an intention? Is it meditation? Is it a practice? I think 
it all, for most of us, it does start out as a, a discipline discipline practice. I'm going to sit up, I'm going to meditate. This is my mantra. Or I'm going to follow my breathing for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And, and for me, it has just evolved. So it's all just kind of unfolding. But yes, I do find myself sitting you know, every morning at a more or less same time, same thing. And then there's a gin meditation at night, which I also... I love the gin meditation. <laughs> no, it's really awesome. Um, we, for the listeners, we will have a gin meditation where we get together and have, um, what is it, like a shot or two of gin? You just put it in a glass with an olive, and we could do this with any liquor. Spirit. It's a spirit. Any spirit, yeah. And you just, like, get together, and we, we'll just set the timer for 20 minutes, and we'll get silent, and we'll just chill, and drink our gin and then close your eyes and just meditate or breathe or whatever do your thing and it's powerful it's like it is fucking a, powerful you you drop in like adding the spirit is really an interesting element how i don't know if it adds a layer of ra- relaxation to your mind and your body and your spirit or i don't know what it does but well, it, it gets into a different and interesting realm i think about intention where one sets the intention um that you're going to go a particular direction. You're going to manifest something. So I think in the, in, what intention is is a, a bit of a mystery to me. Um, I suppose I could dive into it, but not really worth it. I mean, intention is like a mystery. Um, but it's somehow it's, there's some power in intention. I mean, that, I think that's what is going on with placebos. Mm-hmm. It is like... And scientifically, they can't really quantify intention. Yeah. So they're not really talking about it. But, like, our intention is major. Just putting your mind... When there's a will, there's a way. Like, if But you, whose intention is it? You know, I get... It's like when right. we say it's my intention, our intention. It's like, uh, but where does that come from? You know, so it gets into, <laughs> like, disengaging the self from it and goes back into grace. It's not me necessary who's setting an intention but there is an experience that it, that I'm labeling uh, you know my intention my intention yep. you know that's that's a nice story but then I think there is a space where my you know the experience I know there's a letting go of that story and the intention is just the manifest of whatever is you know and with no story attached to it and that's usually a spacious realm with no words I mean, for me, I mean, I, I think, you know, I treasure Rumi poetry, you know, and, and uh, his, you know, use of words to dance around and evoke an experience of, of spirit, of, of, uh, of the mystery. But again, not, not what you think. <laughs> I mean, is that, is that an example of consciousness existing in all places and all things and then it comes through everybody? So like there is basically an infinite consciousness and we are all finite beings that that infinite consciousness is, is, is like expressing through? In the three three dimensional uh, reality, if, if that is how one sees it, I think fine. And yet there is still an attachment to a separate self. Like even to say, you know, that, that everybody experiences the uh, that one consciousness. You're then you're still creating a story about everybody, you know, and separate. And I think ultimately, in 
the experience I know, this, this body disappears, it's gone. It's not, you know, when there is that consciousness of just love or appreciation, you know, however one wants to, you know, put a label on it, which, again, it's a label almost gives it a disservice. But we, you know, that said, um, you know, diving into deep appreciation it's no longer me appreciating. There is just appreciation. And I've heard it referred to as consciousness uh, appreciating itself or consciousness being conscious of itself. So consciousness loving itself. And then it's, it just disappears into beyond. <laughs> so how does that tie into art? Hmm. Oh, man, my mind is blown right now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that would be like consciousness appreciating itself is like art. You know, I'm an artist. I'm making art. And then I am also the, the consciousness. And it's not just I. It's everything. Mm-hmm. I'm all, like consciousness is making the art through me. Art is consciousness as it's being created. Art is consciousness as people are observing it. The viewer and so then consciousness is also the viewer and then the whole experience of the exchange, everything. It's like, it's all everything, consciousness, all at the same time. And art is like a beautiful flower on the bush of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it is, the creation is the flower. It is, you know, the, the, the perfume of the flower in a sense and just embraces so in a sense, it is all art. And if we surrender to the fact, this is like fucking amazing that we can even call it creative or art or anything. It's all, I mean, come on. It's all just creation. If you go back to Big Bang, what is more creative than the, you know, the, the explosion of what appears to be thisness? Even if it's all a hologram, it's still amazing. <laughs> right. Or, I mean, the fact that every single thing that you can see is made up of 99, 9, 99% yeah. of it is vacuumous space. Made up of, and, and it's like molecules and atoms and everything in between. It's like mm-hmm. the wonder of what the hell is actually going on <laughs> is so wild. So you have to, look, I mean, it's almost a sham that it's like. Oh, it absolutely uh, yeah, is. It's yeah, an illusion. It's like, it totally is an illusion that. You but know, so is everything else. It absolutely is. It, you know, it, you know, and that goes back to, you know, it's all a hologram. So yeah. we, can, yeah. we can end it right there, but we won't. Because the hologram is like a default. No, know, we're not like ending on the hologram. We're not ending on the hologram. I got to ask you my questions. Okay. All right. Okay. So my, my first question to ask you is what's your definition of art? I mean, we um, kind of just... We were just talking it. about it. It's whatever you want to define it as, and, and certainly we get agreement within our culture. Oh, yeah, you're an artist because you paint. I mean, that's probably the most common denominator for artists, but, um, you know, uh, any anybody who's in kind of the what we identify as a creative field, a singer, a performer, you know... Uh, you know, but that's a cultural delineation of what an artist is. Um, and uh, I have to look at, it's just, you know, anybody who gets up in the morning is an expression of, 
of art or anybody who doesn't even get up in the morning. You put clothes on and in a way you're expressing something that feels a little harmonious to you or you're rebelling and it feels like wonderfully creatively rebellious, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, what is art? Uh, then if, if I look at what, what this brain, body, mind wants to say, it is, it is what you make of it. And to, for me personally to get caught in, I have to produce something to be an artist, that loses the whole joy of, of the expression of art. And I think to surrender to the fact that this, everything that we see is an incredible expression of art, including just these bodies, the fact that they, you know, function God, you know, that is yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. And if they can find appreciation or beauty in something, let that be art. If it's singing, if it's just, you know, walking dogs every day as a living, you know, and keeping them happy and safe, that in a way is an art too. It's an expression of something that one appreciates, one likes. So, in the world of art, I don't know. How would you? Well, I, I'm not interviewing you, but how would how would you just to give perspective on my kind of airy fairy aspect? What would you say an artist is? Uh, or what is art to you? Well, I, I mean, I, I I really like what you're saying there, and that everybody, everything, always is art, and you can choose to do it without care and artistic flair, or you can choose to really dive in and indulge yourself or indulge the process or indulge the, the, the final product of it. But we are all unique expressions of a human. We're living in a time that has never existed before, if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> Jamie. Um, but it's not like, we're all alive in this moment, and that is the art like dinosaurs were art of their time and everything that is always happening just is the expression of what's happening and leaving anything that's created in the moment or left behind is is like an artifact and those two words are definitely linked and so i feel like it's uh yeah art art just is all the time and then there's mm. and then you could put mm. other, you know put mm. labels on it of like this is fine art this mm. is craft art this is whatever whatever um you know and then those things are monetized and sold on a market but like the essence of art just is and 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 in that way like we are all artists all the time and and like we can choose to acknowledge that and and go with it or we can choose to just not think that at all and, mm. and miss out on every single yeah and, and maybe get caught up in trying to be a successful artist right you know, which kind of delineates it and, and sets a form. It is really a trap. It is Maya. That is the matrix of um, something that is not not real. And we and, and we will feel it. There is no nobody who is in that world that doesn't experience frustration and not good enough and um, and having to produce something better next time and more. And they're never totally satisfied. Um, yeah, that is that dualistic world that often we call, you know, the art world. But I think as you're saying, yeah, it is. 
this is all art. <laughs> and if we appear to tap into it, other than just appreciation, I, I go back to appreciation and love. If you can love to put this beautiful red you know, gouache on a canvas, it's like, and go, yeah. I mean, that's, that's appreciation and call it art. <laughs> yep. yep. All right, um, what, what next? You had three questions. I had three questions. The second question... Oh, shoot. I'm drawing a blank. If you had a question, what would it be? Ah, here it is. (laughs) If you were to go back and you could see little Jamie when he was, you know, maybe say 10 or 12 years old, uh, what advice would you give him? Dude, chill. (laughs) Um, I, I probably wouldn't give him advice. I'd probably give him a big hug and say and ask him what was going on and um and and i would try and just empathize with him as a person and give him as much appreciation and love uh acceptance as is true you know and and goes back to a conversation you and i had earlier um that this is all exactly as it is, you know, and if we're going to try and make it something different and stress because it isn't what we think it should be and it should be better, um, that's stress. And I think as we learn to love, including our own creative endeavors, um, uh, that's life. And the, 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 the little kids, and we are all, we all still have that little kid in us. And I think to except at this point now the little kid is a memory and it's a nice hypothetical situation to go through but with little kids that we know let's you know um give them real appreciation let them be beautiful exactly the way that they are and it goes for not just little kids but people get people where they're at without judgment just this is how they are and and they're perfect Every fractal is exactly in the right position because this is what is. And yeah, so that advice, yeah, you know, it's not words. It would be uh, just giving appreciation and love for them and obviously being honest, truthful, sincere, caring, whatever you are, whatever I am to that. That's nice. Child. Yeah. I like that. Um, I've been doing some inner child work with a with a coach that I'm working with, and mm-hmm. uh, it's cool because the concept is basically that we get triggered in life, in our daily life, and then uh, the question you ask yourself is what is coming up, what emotion, what what story are you running, what program, and the next question is how old am I in this frustration, like mm-hmm. as I'm being mm-hmm. triggered by this how like Mm, what memory comes up so then like immediately i can think like oh wow that brings up a memory from when i was in first grade and i dressed up one day and these kids were making fun of me and i just wanted to like get i wanted to run i wanted to get out of the situation and now that manifests itself in me as an adult when i get frustrated with something and have a short temper because i get upset with things Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's wild and then working through that i've been noticing that in my daily life it doesn't happen the same and it's really cool it like can totally coincides with what you're saying like, mm-hmm. 
like give your child love. Yeah. In um, a sense, I mean, I tie into that. Forgiveness is a big part of it. You know, forgive. Oh, I had a wonderful craniosacral person who did some work on me. It blew me away because I, I, you know, it's like, yeah, right. She's gonna like put some needles in me and then put pressure on my head. And she said, "Now you setting up this session." She said, "You may, you may find yourself crying in this." And I'm like, "Okay." You're like, "Right, I'm gonna cry, sure." And sure enough, she took me back to it. Goes into what you're saying into an experience um, where. I, I felt dominated or something. I felt insecure. Um, and it happened to be when I was like seven years old, getting my tonsils removed. And I remember getting put under I very reluctantly. I held my breath because they, they used gas at that time. And it's like, I'm not going to breathe. This is stinks. And I held my breath a long time. And I remember the two doctors standing up over me and I'm on my back. And, and they're like, You'll breathe, you know, and sure enough, I did. You had to, <laughs> but it it, it I, I didn't go quite under, and I remember um, the two doctors talking about they were do, cutting into me, you know, doing whatever they were doing, you know, uh, and I was completely vulnerable, and and they were talking about their wives or something, not paying any attention to me, but they were in, had their scalpels in me or whatever they were doing, yeah. but they were paying no attention to me, like I didn't exist. They were wrapped up in their own worlds. But what, you know, what this doctor, uh, this woman, she, she's beautiful, she just got me into, you know, after we finished that the experience, she had me um, say, would it be possible for you to forgive those doctors, to see that they have their own stuff going on, just like you do, and is forgiveness a possibility there? So that really got me to forgive the doctors, but then forgive Jamie for all these years of holding this fear, this anger, this frustration that I wasn't being heard, I wasn't being paid attention to, um, to forgive you know, have the experience of forgiveness. So all the way around, and I think it goes back to just things are as they are. If we're going to hold a grudge, hold anger at ourselves, um, that's just karma that we're holding on to. And the truth is, everything is as it is. And perhaps it looks like an opportunity to appreciate once, we, once there is acceptance, surrender to what is, appreciation, and perhaps, again, the ability to create beautiful things or to dive into beauty, which we have the opportunity in our artwork to do. Which is our life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, dude. Jamie, this is great. I think we're, we have like 15 seconds left. I think that was it. That was perfect. Um, we'll do this again. Definitely. <laughs> Either yeah, in a podcast or just informally, which I think uh, which we do all the good time. at. <laughs> all right, thanks for listening, everybody. Say bye, Jamie. So that was Jamie Phillips. I hope that you enjoyed this as much as the two of us did recording it, because that was a blast. Um, yeah. It's always fun to dive into the philosophical pools with Jamie. 
He's got some wild wisdom, perspective, insights. He's had all sorts of crazy life experiences, near-death experiences, worlds in the professional field of photography. Um, yeah, he was he was into the new age wave of things like back when it it was all happening in the 60s and 70s. Um, so it's always really fun to pick his brain and get get his ideas on things. You know, uh, so many things I I am like, wow, this is so amazing and new. And he's like, yeah, we were doing that 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, if you got any questions for Jamie, um, he's not on any of the major social media. So if you have any questions for Jamie, send them my way and I will relay them to him. Um, and as always, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Taylor G Murals. And yeah, I'd love to hear what you had to say about it. Um, starting to get some good feedback on things. Uh, I'm having a blast with these interviews. Uh, at, at very least I'm enjoying myself and it's a really cool way to record these like beautiful conversations that always happen with these awesome people that I'm very blessed to be in contact with. So I want to bring those to you and, and, uh, give you a little inspiration in your creative journeys and just kind of let you know, keep going, whatever it's, whatever it is that you're doing, just keep doing it, do more of it. You know, don't, don't do it for anyone else, do it for you and everything's going to work out beautifully. That's about all I got for right now. Thanks for listening.